This episode of the Real Rescue Podcast is brought to you by SR3 Rescue Concepts because you don't know what you don't know. Life Saving Systems Corporation. We do our work so you can do yours. Tough gear for tough jobs. Breeze Eastern, the world's only dedicated helicopter hoist and winch provider. Have you taken a minute to reach out to Dave and Jason at SR3? Or what about Mario over at LSC? Or maybe Jimmy at Breeze Eastern? They're not only sponsoring this podcast, these guys are actually friends of mine. So if you have not reached out to them, now is the time. Heck, even call them just to get a t-shirt or a hat, sport their logo, and wear it proud. SR3 Rescue Concepts is a training company that can help you with your helicopter training, a standardization check, a safety check, or maybe just an audit or an annual FAA refresher. They are ready to bring your agency up to date with the current techniques, rules, regulations, and equipment. The training staff is awesome. With certified flight instructor pilots and experienced crew members, which I am happy to say that I am a part of, they offer training in rescue, medical, tactical, firefighting, ground operation, and night vision goggle use. SR3 has partnered with Petzl to assist with the personal protective equipment inspection course and the highly specific Lazard, which is used in helicopter cliff and mountain rescue, or like our guys over in Norway, who think outside the box, and they used it on a vessel that was pitching and rolling. SR3 Rescue Concepts goes beyond the helicopter world too. They also provide high angle rescue training and tactical medicine training. Contact them today at sr3rescueconcepts.com and follow them over on Instagram at SR3 underscore rescue. Then we have Life Saving Systems Corporation. They manufacture the world's toughest helicopter rescue gear. From my favorite harness as a rescueman, the Triton harness, to the rescue baskets and the litters, and of course the most popular hoist in all of helicopters, the D-Lock. The team at LSC cuts bends, sews, welds, and machines these products into existence every day. As they like to say, we do our work so you can do yours. Tough gear for tough jobs. Check them out today at lifesavingsystems.com and follow them on Instagram at rescuegear, at R-E-S-Q-G-E-A-R. And we have Breeze Eastern. Since the very first helicopter rescue in November 1945, Breeze Eastern has designed and manufactured superior rescue hoist solutions. While much of the technology and unique mission requirements have changed over the past 75 years, their commitment to us, the rescuers, and the operators, and those rescued, has not. Contact Breeze Eastern today by visiting them at breeze-eastern.com. That's breeze-eastern.com. Our next guest coming to us is one of my instructors from A school. I'm super psyched to have him here because when you're going through training, and this is, I think, the majority of people that are out there, they look at their instructors as somebody that's been there, that's done that, and they have knowledge to pass on. So as long as you're open enough to take on the knowledge that they've learned, so you can either not make the mistakes they made or bring in some of the experience that they have on the job that makes it worthwhile so i'm totally pumped that he came on to share some of the stories some that i had actually never even heard of as well which makes even better so um i'm happy to bring him to you guys 
United States Coast Guard rescue swimmer number 157, Mr. Al Yates. My name is Jason Quinn. I am United States Coast Guard rescue swimmer number 500. These are my rescues and rescues from those of us that put our lives on the line every day so others may live. This is The Real Rescue Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Real Rescue Podcast. Today, I have an amazing guest with me. He was one of my personal A-school instructors that whooped my ass from day to day. Okay, only in third phase, but it was a lot. And I remember him very well. Mr. Alan Yates, rescue swimmer for the United States Coast Guard, number 157. What's up, Al? Nothing but good, man. How are you doing? Man, I'm awesome. Thank you for coming on today. That's awesome. Thanks for the invite. A little kind of backstory is actually, um, so Al and I, you did, you and I did meet in a school. I was the student at the time. I was, uh, I believe you were, you and Mike O'Dell were teaching third phase at the time. And that was uh, parachutes and multis. And that was, that was some good times. And I remember that well. Inflatables and inflatables. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Jumping in rafts, in and out of rafts. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And by then, as you said, uh, I think we were pretty squared away. I think we were. Yep. Yeah. We had a pretty fun class. Yeah, most classes, by the time they got to me, it's turned into more of a a shop-type relationship. It wasn't, you know, yelling and screaming and stuff like that. And I enjoyed that because I don't really – that's just not – it's not me. I'm more of a quieter person. And then you go to the pool – then you get, you know, treated like crap. And then <laughs> you're back to the classroom working like people again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, gosh, what good times. Like, yeah, I tell everybody it was one of the hardest things I ever did in my life. And that is a true statement. So, I mean, yeah, you guys. Me too. Yeah, it was fun. I enjoyed it. But I don't want to do it again. I mean, I would do it again. I just don't want to. <laughs> yeah, I would. Uh, I would do it again, too. But not at this age. I'd have yeah, to right? be about 20. we need like uh four days to recover in about 800 milligrams of motrin three times a day (laughs) absolutely oh nice well al if you don't mind would you introduce yourself to everybody give a little bit of a background history of yourself um how you got into the coast guard and then really how you became a rescue swimmer so what got you into search and rescue okay uh well i had spent four years in the army and I was pretty much just done with that. Uh, the, the whole time was in the desert out in Texas. So I got out of the army, moved back to Alabama. Um, I was looking for a job. So I took off to Florida, saw a Coast Guard recruiting sign. Man, this is funny stuff right here. Talked to a recruiter. She says, are you a conscientious objector? And I thought, well, that sounds like a good thing. And I said, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know what the hell she was talking about. <laughs> she says, you know what that means? And I said, well, not really. <laughs> she explained it to me. And I said, no, I'm not a conscientious objector. <laughs> so I joined the Coast Guard. Ended up on the Mississippi River on a buoy tender. And I hear this weird whiny noise one day. And I look up. And it's a 65 doing circles over us. Nice. And and I said, the, the Coast Guard's got helicopters? I had no I, I had no idea. Uh, 
all I knew about was icebergs, and it's just one place I didn't want to go. Yeah. Or 378s. So anyway, I signed up. I volunteered for aviation, got my name on the school list. And six months later, I came out on the ASM school list, and I knew something wasn't right. So I started doing a little – I signed up for the wrong school, man. I, I wanted to be an aviation structural mechanic, <laughs> not a survivor. Which is AM at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so A-S-M. the acronyms like, – I knew nothing about aviation, and the acronyms just didn't they, – they just didn't sound right. So anyway, I was on the ASM school list, and I could redo it, or I could just go with ASM, which means if I redone it, it'd probably been six extra months on that boat because I'd have had to start over. So right. that's why I went with ASM. I didn't even, you know, I'd, I'd heard nothing about swimmers. All it said at the bottom of the application was basically must complete rescue swimmer school in uh, Pensacola. And I thought Pensacola, that sounds like fun. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was so clueless. And then, and then I started finding that, that, Airman Mariki died, you know? Yeah. That oh, was yeah. Cool. Yep. And then I thought, uh-oh, I've got myself into something now. <laughs> but anyway, long story short, man, I just stuck with it, struggled my way through uh, swimmer school, and that's how I ended up in aviation. That's awesome. You know, you had mentioned another little tidbit of that story offline, which is that uh, you were not a, a great swimmer actually going no. to this rescue swimmer school. No, I, uh, it's, it's, which is really fun. I'm sorry. That is really funny to me. The fact that you're going to rescue for school and you can't swim. <laughs> yeah. I could do all the stuff. Like I, I could do the survival strokes. I was comfortable oh. in the water, under the water. It was a 500 yard crawl. I had no style. No, I had nothing, man. I plowed, I plowed for 17 weeks. Brilliant. I love it. I, yeah, I was, I would start out the first lap might look good. And then I just went to crap after that. It was just nothing. It was a 500 yard struggle. That was oh, my, that was my worst, my worst fear in school. Was the 500 yard crawl. That's hilarious. Yeah. Everything else. Uh, and actually you, you actually mentioned one more thing is when you got out and you got back up to, uh, or you ended up meeting up with Bush life. And what did he say to yeah. you? Yeah. Well, they made us swim again before they, we got to graduate. And uh, Butch was my instructor back then. And he was watching me swim a 500. And I, I can't remember what we did after the 500. Maybe, I don't remember. But I remember him walk, walking on the pool deck and screaming at me, Yates, you've been here 17 weeks and you still can't swim. <laughs> and, you know, I'm like, just keep stroking, man. I know I suck. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it didn't matter. As soon as you kick some fins on, it's game on. So, yep. Yeah. yeah I was always good. I was always good with gear. That's, you know, that's what got me through. That is so funny. <laughs> All right. So, now, once you make it through school, you, what, what was your first unit you went to? The first unit was uh, Alpat in Kodiak, Alaska. Oh, nice. Yeah. Well, so, so much for not going to like an icebreaker. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Yeah, I told them, I said, uh, I wanted the Gulf out of school. I wanted the Gulf of uh, Mexico. I said, yeah, you got the Gulf, the uh, Gulf of Alaska. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. But I, 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 like, I like Kodiak. 
Yeah. I got now, to do the swimmer, swimmer work up there some too. So at Alpat, for everybody that doesn't understand it or know this, is there's another section of Kodiak. So you have the um, Alpat is, is a deployment unit. They follow on the 65. They end up going on the back of icebreakers and some of the bigger cutters. And you guys get sent out quite a bit, like six-month deployments or whatnot, and then come back. And Yeah. So that's. Yeah, I wasn't a big fan of deploying on the ships. I just, I don't like ships, period. Did you get don't seasick only, too? Only got seasick one time. <laughs> uh, we were in like uh, 15 to 20 foot seas for 24 hours. Oh, that's, that's gnarly. That did it. To, that did it to me. I mean, it felt like, it felt like the worst hangover in the world, but there was no fun leading up to it. Oh, man. <laughs> and it didn't matter how much you threw up. It, you, I felt like crap. So that's the only time in my life I've been seasick or motion, any type of motion sickness. Wow, that's pretty good. Well, while you were in Kodiak, did you get your first shark case up there? No, I didn't. Uh, they tried, they were going to launch me as a flight mech off one of the, uh, I was going to be the flight mech and another guy was going to be the EMT off the back of a 378. Yeah. But the weather was too bad. We couldn't launch and recover at sea. So, uh, man, I don't even remember what happened, but we didn't launch. Yeah. Well, in that case, what was your very first case? Well, I can, I can say that I don't remember the very first swimmer case, but the very one of the first cases I had that was significant to me was, the, you know, the one I told you about where they left a flat neck behind. You re- Oh, I don't right. know if I remember that one. I'm in Corpus one night, and we get launched out. I had just transferred from Alpat, so I was still flight met qualified. I'd been to EMT school, and I was also swimmer qualified. We get a medevac on an oil rig. It's like 30 – I think it was 30 miles offshore at night. Is this the one that I'm real... about to go over? No, that was – no, no. Okay, okay. This is, okay. Just, this is just a first case. Okay. And why it was significant, man. The, the pilot, he goes, all right, flight mech, you're not going to go. I'm just taking Yates. Uh, he's going to be my swimmer, my flight mech, and, and my EMT. And we went out wow. there. And, you know, I didn't have, of course, I didn't deploy as a swimmer because we just landed, picked up a patient, and flew back. Uh, but, it, you know, it just shows that we were very – at that time, it was extremely versatile. We could do any crew position, but not any crew could do our position. Yeah, that's pretty and awesome. I talked to the pilot last week because, man, this is a story too. He bought me this watch, that watch. Yeah, the nice watch. I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. Uh, anyway, he said, he told me some more stuff about that night that PHI is Petroleum Helicopters Incorporated. They're the ones that change out those crews on those oil rigs. And they had refused that. They weren't going to do that medevac because the, the weather was too bad. And so I sent the, the pilot, Coast Guard. Yeah. And the pilot, he didn't tell us that night, but he told me last week, he said, Yeah, I didn't tell you. That was only my third oil rig landing. <laughs> and he said he had to put the brakes on and hold them to keep the plane from being uh, rolled off the uh, rig by the wind. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So. It was that that wasn't necessarily a swimmer deployment, but you know, it was one of the my as my first SAR case as a uh, EMT and flight mech. Man, that's awesome! 
Like you're the only one going. So if it turns into a hoist, you're doing it. If it turns into yep. a landing and you get off, you're doing it. Yep. Oh, uh, wow. Well, when those 65s first came out, they were ha- they had to be so conscious of space and weight. Right. Especially weight. So yeah. That's, that, that was another reason, too. They left flight and make behind. Yeah. Just over-torquing engines and yeah, all bad. But at least they've upgraded them all because you were flying on the A model at the time, and now they're on the Charlie model, the C model. So Yeah, I've, I've heard about those. Yeah. Nice. Nice. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, so you, well, I'll tell you, like reading some of your stuff. So again, I, I Googled you and because that's what I do. And in this, I come across uh, a little bit of a, like, like an amazing case, according to this. And this is another one out of Corpus Christi. And I'd like to read this. And then I would love for you to kind of bring us through it and what happened. Is that cool? Okay. All right. Yeah. Citation to accompany the award of the Air Medal to James Allen Yates, Aviation Survival Technician, First Class, United States Coast Guard. Petty Officer Yates is cited for meritorious achievement in aerial flight while serving as rescue swimmer aboard Coast Guard Rescue Helicopter 6551 on the morning of 21 November 1994. The air crew was engaged in a perilous rescue of three severely burned survivors on an offshore natural gas rig explosion 30 miles east of Corpus Christi, Texas. Rescue operations were complicated as major structural damage prevented the landing on the rig's helipad. Hoist operations were also seriously hindered due to the gaping holes in the decking, making the rescue swimmer deployment extremely risky. Additional dangers included blowing debris displaced by the helicopter's rotor wash and numerous fires that were ablaze next to 55-gallon fuel drums. Despite grave personal risk, Petty Officer Yates, once on deck, began working his way through the fire and debris to the victims that were two stories below. The three survivors, unable to walk due to severe burns and blindness, had to be hoisted from the lower decking. The difficulty of the feat required exceptional ingenuity in retrieving the litter, securing the patients, and executing a safe hoist from a precarious and difficult position off the side of the rig. Using a piece of metal loosened by the initial explosion, to improve his reach, Pedestrian Yates guided the trail line around the, obstru- around the obstructions while balancing precautiously over the rig safety rails. Without such heroic efforts, none of the survivors could have been hoisted to the safety. Pedestrian Yates' action and undauntable professionalism were instrumental in the rescue of all three persons. His courage, judgment, and devotion and duty are most heartily commended in keeping with the highest tradition of the United States Coast Guard. Ow, holy cow. So just to throw one more thing in there, like you got fire, you got explosions, you've got holes in the deck, you can't land, three to two decks down. Oh, what? That's crazy. It was work. There's no doubt about it. So What's the initial call? Like, what what comes over the, the SAR alarm? Okay, well, there's a swimmer already on scene. Uh, oil rig explosion, I'm sure. And so, you're the, so you're the second crew that's going out? Yeah. Oh, man, that's crazy. Okay, okay. Sorry, go ahead, go ahead. So he was the first class. He's named Roger Westerhoff, and uh, he was already out there. 
he was on scene and he basically said, Hey, I need help. So I got lost. We went, I think we had three, probably three 65 slide on this case at, at one time, just, you know, bringing stuff, doing stuff, you know, uh, picking people up. But anyway, uh, we fly out. There's a, there's a helipad at the top and oh, it's a huge rig. Those, let me think. It was a, it was high. It was, like I said, probably 150 feet, maybe. I don't know. It's hard to guesstimate that. But uh, the, you know, they couldn't land, so we do an approach, and they're going to uh, lower me down my cable. Well, I get lowered down, and man, there's these 55 gallon drums of diesel and gas and stuff like that on top. I just knew it was fuel. And it looked, it was okay at the time, but when the helo comes in and starts, you know, putting me down, that rotor wash started fanning, you know, the, the hot spots. Yeah. And these, these little fires would start popping up. So I go ahead and disconnect from the cable, give the thumbs up. They move out of the way. I think they started doing circles around us. One of the, one of my, one of the pilots was a good friend of mine. Yeah. Uh, basically, I had to piss so bad and I'm standing <laughs> I'm standing there and I'm like, okay, I got a fire here and a fire there. I just, I walk over and I start, I start pissing on these fires. <laughs> you know, I knocked, I knocked a couple of little ones out. <laughs> Good job. The pilot asked me later, he goes, were you standing up on that helo pad taking a piss when we put you down? I was like, yeah, man, I, I was firefighting. <laughs> <laughs> so... Then I started going down to the, I don't know, second or third level down. And a lot of stuff was broken. I mean, the stairs, I mean, there's, there was some twisted steel. Uh, it, there was no easy way up or, up or down. I don't remember exactly how I got there, but there was no stairs. Uh, so anyway, we, we get in there and there's three guys, big guys. Like every one of them is like 300 pounds. And I'm about a buck, I'm about a buck 50, buck 60, whatever I was at the time. And uh, they had the explosion that happened the day before and it knocked out their communications. So they had been sitting there burnt all night. Holy smoke. Oh, like literally. Smoke. Yeah. Uh, PHI, the only reason they found out those guys were in trouble, they came out there to do a crew swap out the next morning and they saw the rig and they couldn't land on it. So they called the Coast Guard again. <laughs> Wow. Uh, let me think. Uh, those guys had huge water blisters on them. It was it was not a it, it wasn't like they got charred, but it was a flash fire from, you know, the natural gas okay. explosion. So they weren't charred, but they their bodies were just one big water blister like the tips of this guy's fingers. I know it had to hurt. This had to hurt. They had swell, they had swollen overnight, you know, with the water blisters. Yeah. And then because those guys had dehydrated and they were drying out, those things cracked open and the tips of their, they'd peel back like you pull gloves back on oh. your fingers. So exposed fingertips were sticking out under the skin. You know, ah, you know, that had to hurt. Yeah. And all the hair blown off their heads and faces, uh, they couldn't see it, it, it affected their vision. So they were basically, they couldn't see. They couldn't see anything. They didn't know. They didn't even know what was going on, except 
you know, we were there to get them off that rig. Holy cow. What the? Dang. All right. See, you, it talks about uh, you being two decks down and having to get the litter. So how did they get the litter? How did you get the litter? Or how did the air well, crew get the litter to you? Well, they'd come in and do a high hover. Uh, they had to hover above the rig and lower down a lot of cable. They'd start out with a trail line, and they'd get it as close as they could. And I, there was some piece of steel I picked up off the deck. It was about 20 foot long. And I'd reach out there with that metal bar and snag the trail line. And, you know, then we'd pull it to us and, we'd, you know, get a litter, put somebody in it and go through that scene. We went through that same scenario. I don't know how many times just keep moving in close and get the cable, disconnect, let them move out, and, you know, prep the patient. Yeah. And then just picking those guys up and getting them to where we could horse from. That was, oh man, I can't believe that's, that's probably what gave me my first hemorrhoid. <laughs> you know, like I said, like I said, it's about 300 pounds and, you know, trying to move somebody around in a, in a basket or a litter or something like that on a, on a deck like that. It was, uh, it was a struggle. So now is it you alone working on deck or is it you and, and one of the other swimmers that are down there with you on deck? Me and Roger, uh, Westerhoff. So you and, and Roger are working together to load and go these patients and, and, and get them up into the aircraft. Yeah. I don't know that one person could have done it. Uh, it definitely, I, I think it took two, two of us because moving those guys, they were, they were very heavy and we would have to, when we got them ready to pick up, we'd get the, uh, we'd get to keep the cable off the helo. We'd connect it to the, let's say the basket. And then we'd pick these guys up. You know, we had to pick them up about chest high to where the safety railing was. Yeah. We'd set them on top of the, we'd balance them on top of the safety railing. And then when the helo would take up the slack in the cable, we'd just let them go. And man, they would swing way out there over the ocean. It's probably a good thing they were blind because it scared the hell out of them if they would have known what was happening. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. Now, did you guys, were you guys using a trail line or anything to, or just as soon as the cable takes a slack and just let them go? Yeah, we, we, yeah, we just let them swing. Wow. Woo. Oh, oh, wow. All right, so now you, you load up three guys, and now yes. you guys have to come off the, air, the rig. Did you guys climb up, or were you going off the same spot? No, they, they asked us. They said, uh, well, we're, you know, we've got the we, – like we had two or three helos flying, so each one would take a guy, and they were going to the hospital with them, and they come back uh, – they come when they, they left us out there, and they come back and they said, "Hey, do you want to uh, do you want to be hoisted from that same position, or do you want just to you know take a boat ride home?" And I looked at Roger and I said, "Man, you ain't picking me off this side of this rig." I said, "I'm I'm going with the boat." I rode the boat back in. Well, we both rode the boat back in. <laughs> I said, "I done risk I done risk it too many times today." I, I you know I like I'm I'm kind of safe if I can't yeah. be. Yeah. Because you know for a fact you're going to have to get in the basket and then the basket. <laughs> or, or, or probably just hook up to a, you know, harness, you know, just. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, that was, you know, that was really some precision hovering by the pilots and some excellent uh, hoisting by the Mets. And they had done it. They had done it well so many times, just didn't want to tempt fate, you know, 
two more times. We didn't have an emergency, so it's just yeah. We no no need to put their lives at risk for that. So we just took the boat home. Yeah, that's actually pretty smart. You know, in all reality, the the patients are on board the aircraft at that time. They can get back to medical care, and you guys can take the safest route out of there. And worst case scenario, you get hoisted right off the boat as you're leaving the rig. And you know, we might have done that because we 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 got hoisted off the boat. I'm pretty sure because I don't remember going into a boat station and having to drive back. So. I think we got picked up on the way just whenever a, a helo became available. Wow. Holy jeez. Shit's on fire. Yeah. Wow. And, well done, sir. Jeez. Oh, thank, thank you. Uh, and I, I tell you what, I ended up getting that presented to me when I was at the A school. And that was really cool being in front of a lot of, you know, of the students up there because they don't get to see that too much. Yeah. Yeah. No. You know, you're, you're at the school and you're getting, you know, they're reading off that citation with their, you know, students out there and they're all fired up to go do SAR. So it was good. They got to see it. That's awesome. You know, I, we were talking a little bit about this offline, but I, I specifically remember one of my smoking scenarios going down to the water, swimming over, and walking down into the pump room and saying, okay, shit's on fire. Go get your patients and get them out and rig them up and you carry it. Uh, yeah, now I know. I know for oh, sure yeah. it was that. <laughs> all, all, all those scenarios we did came from stuff like that that either me or somebody else had experienced. Man, oh, that is awesome. You know what? So did I do a good job? What I've done as well as you, that's all I need to really know. Of course. <laughs> I, had, I had a good mentor then. All right. <laughs> hey man, it's 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 uh that 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 school graduates some quality people and it just depends on what situation who gets put in what situation. They just do what they gotta do to get it done. Yeah. You don't ever hear any you don't ever hear any stories about swimmers quitting. No, that is that is one hundred percent a true statement. They, yeah. Now they I don't actually, you know, now that you mention it, I don't know a single story where a swimmer said, I'm not going. Not not one. Nope, I don't either. Well done, Coast Guard. And it's yeah. <laughs> they they uh Coast Guard does some stuff that uh, people just they'll never get to see because you can't film that kind of stuff in the weather they go out in. No. No, there is a there's a whole another dynamic and you can't make it up when you start getting into 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 foot seas. And you just like, like it's you, people can't even fathom it because they don't, you can't see it. Nobody really knows, you know, you're, you're coming up to a rig on fire, a boat on fire. And you're watching the smoke bellow across the ocean floor. And you're like, this, this, is, this is epic. You don't see this. So, wild, wild. Well, oh, thank yeah. you for sharing that. That's, that is something else. Uh, my, my, my pleasure. What else you got? That, now, you, now you got me intrigued because I know you were in for quite a while. So, man, I, I tell you, I, I've had several, I had several at Corpus Christi. Uh, I had a couple more stand out and, you know, they, they just were, I, well, let me think how this went down. I had a pilot walk up to me one day in Corpus Christi because we had just started the swimmer program. Yep. 
I remember him being young. I don't remember his name. He wasn't one of those that I liked. Um, probably the only one I disliked, really. Because he said, he made it a point to say to me that I can't imagine ever being in a situation where I would deploy a rescue swimmer on a SAR case. Little did he know. <laughs> I said, oh, well, I don't, I, don't know, I don't know how to respond to that. But uh, within, within a week or two, I got put, I got deployed on the back of a, a shrimp boat down there. And, you know, a guy had gotten wrapped up in a winch. Oh, that's not fun. No, no, it was uh, memorable. Uh, I, I'm all ears. I mean. Oh, well, of course, the alarm, the SAR alarm goes off, and they said, you know, swimmer provide. And I, I got briefed that there was a, uh, a shrimp boat offshore. I don't know how far offshore it was. But the guy had gotten wrapped. He took about three trips around a big drum, uh, a winch, you know, that was hauling in the nets. Yeah. And they, they said he was dead and his intestines were exposed and they wanted us to come get him off the shrimp boat. What? And I realized I wasn't excited about that at all. I was like, well, you know, I don't, why are we doing this body recovery where well, that boat needs to turn around and go back in and, you know, yeah, I'll get offload this guy. Yeah, but anyway, well, I'm getting stuff together. I'm trying to find a body bag. We're just trying to locate a body bag. We didn't know if we had any or not because you know, like I said, not in the body recovery business. Then they called back and they said, "Uh, no, he's not dead. He's moaning, so <laughs> he's still alive." Thought, oh hell, this is this just changed everything. So, you know, we kick up the pace, we're getting ready to launch. Uh, I remember, oh man, let me think. It was hot, very hot that day. I'm in a, I'm in a shorty and we fly out. I get put on the back of this boat. It's called the Kentucky daughter. That's the name of the boat. I walked up to the winch and this guy, this winch was about, I don't know, like this big around. And You're talking it like was about, six feet around? Uh, yeah, four maybe. I don't know. It's, okay. it's hard. About this far off the deck. So this guy got his foot snagged, and he had went through that little space three times, going around and around this, this winch. And, and the, the winch was wrapping up on top of him every, every turn with a lot of tension. I mean, you could not budge it. You could grab it and try to do anything with it it had wrapped over itself and he wasn't he wasn't going anywhere oh as long as those God. oh yeah and he was in and out of consciousness so uh i'm just looking at it and and man i tell you the first thought i i had was like i really don't want to be here <laughs> <laughs> i mean and you're the but, only guy and they're all looking I, at you like oh we're so happy you're here <laughs> I got one play. I got no place to go. So, I, you know, I'm stuck with it. The, the, the captain, he stayed in the cabin. He never even came out. One of the other crewmen, he is, was as far back in the corner of the boat as he could get. He was trying to get a, as far away from this scene as he could. And I, I, I went back to him and I said, hey, what makes this winch go round and round? He said the engine down 
if there was an engine running down below the deck, I said, you're going to have to turn that engine off or I'm not touching, I'm not touching anything. Cause I was just horrified. You know, I didn't want to take a few trips around with this guy. Yeah, you know, something, right? broke, something broke loose. So got the engine shut off. I started looking at him. Um, at the time, I don't know what they're doing these days, but we didn't do IVs. He needed, he needed fluids oxygen fluids uh and he needed this cable cut off of him really bad and i was trying to figure out a way to cut the cable so the first thing we do we had we had three or four birds flying on this one too uh, they was flying out oxygen they was flying out uh, a flight surgeon they flew out a dc with a torch uh, no way yeah it was just constantly you know back and forth just anything i called for they was like all right we got a plane we're loading up we're on the way so we get the d we get the flight surgeon there and his name was dr brent freming he was a navy flight surgeon at, at uh, uh corpus christi air station so he, he i'm so relieved when i find out the flight surgeon's coming he gets on <laughs> he gets on deck and i had a already a he was it, I was already friends with him because I'd been to the dock there a few times. He, he was really, he was really good. But uh, I remember thinking, all right, all responsibility is going to be off me and the flight surgeon is going to take this over. <laughs> and he looked at, he looked at him and he looked at me and he goes, so what do you think we ought to do? <laughs> That's, what like, That's what I was hoping he was going to tell me, you know? <laughs> well, what did what do you want to do, Doc? <laughs> I said, well, I said, when we get him cut out of here, I said, and unless you got anything better, I, I said, uh, he had a lot of broken bones. Yeah. Especially from the waist down. It, his intestines wasn't out. Well, that's uh, good. What had happened was his right femur, the head of his femur had been pulled out of the hip joint Ooh. and had and, and poked through the stomach. So what they were looking at was the head of the femur and they thought it was, was intestines. So it, it wasn't, it, it wasn't his guts hanging out. Gotcha. It was his femur, femur sticking out of his crotch. Yeah. And he had a bunch of other fractures in his legs because he was bent the wrong way around this winch. Basically he was laying on his right leg. It was underneath his neck, his oh, head. Oh man. Oh yeah. It was, it was not, it was not a true scene. So uh, let me think. I, my my suggestion was, hey, we we get him out of this winch, and if he doesn't have any major leaks to yeah. worry about, then get him in mass pants and get him pumped up as soon as possible and transport him out of here. And flight surgeon says, "Yep, sounds good to me." And he started IVs on him. Uh, we kept him on oxygen. Um, the DC come out there and started cutting the. Uh, he started cutting the cable with a torch. And so real quick, just, I'm going to interject. The DC is a damage controlman. So the Coast Guard has what's known as a damage controlman, and they have torches and grinders, and they, they do a lot of just standard repair stuff uh, Coast Guard-wise. It's a very generalized statement, but in general. So you got a DC mechanic down there, you know, that can, a jack-of-all-trades, we'll call them, cutting the cables, steel cables off this guy off the drum. Right. okay so i just yeah, want to tell everybody that yeah um 
So that, that's what we did. I, I stood by with fire extinguisher, you know, just, just while he did the cutting, keep the, uh, keeping sparks and stuff off the patient. But we finally got him loose and got him worked out from under that, that, that drum, put him in mask pants, pumped him up. And well, we both agreed that him being wrapped so tight around that was probably what was maintaining his blood pressure. Oh yeah. Yeah. So when you cut him loose from all that, you know, that blood pressure is going to spread out through the entire body. So we got him in the mask as soon as we could, got him aired up. And him and the flight surgeon, I think, went first. Yeah. And I stayed behind until, let me think, some crew boat come out there and showed up and picked me up. And then they hoisted me off the deck of the crew boat. And wow. let me think, I think that was about it. That's about all I can remember from it. Uh, I remember the guy's name. And, he lived. He lost his leg, but he lived. Wow. Like literally I, life saved. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I think I got an assist for that. I think he should have been a life saved too. <laughs> <laughs> Man, dude, that is crazy. It was, it was, uh, it was pretty shocking to me. I mean, I just, I mean, it really, I really had a lot of respect for a shrimp boat after that. Oh, you know, the commercial fishing yeah. industry, period. Anytime you get put down on a boat, man, there's a lot of unfamiliar stuff down there. And you can get hurt. You got to keep your head on a swivel. Well, and you, like a lot of people, I, I highly recommend anybody out there that's listening, go Google what a shrimp boat looks like. And then imagine getting hoisted to that because there is so much snag stuff and all the the booms that are out and about and the cranes and this and that i mean heck the fact you got hoisted down there with multiple people that are coming with you is is pretty impressive that's awesome oh yeah yeah good yeah. job on the whole flight crew but i love how doc comes out he's like what do you want to do <laughs> yeah man <laughs> <laughs> well here's my spiel um, yeah. you know he's like well you know he's he wasn't used to seeing that kind of stuff i mean who right. is Right. Uh, no, they, they get them after, you know, we extricate them yep. and then bring them in and say, all right, here's what you got. And yep. yeah. So man, that's awesome. <laughs> that is incredible. I, yeah. I was in shock after that. I was just like, they called me up in the ops and I'm still wearing a, I'm still wearing a shorty and they're looking at me like, what, what, what happened? What, how was it? What was going on? And I just said, that dude was really effed up. And <laughs> I said, I, I told him, I, you know, I told him what happened and I left, you know, I was just really walking yeah. around and saying, God. Wow. You know, I, man, there's a lot to be said about that too, because, you know, you get cases like that and you have, you have that, you know, the after effect of your, you just got to sit down, you know, jeez. They yep. have the nope. one of the SISM teams, the critical incident stress management teams now after something like that. And, you know, they, I, I think a lot of agencies do a better job of that, but um, especially now, but man, <laughs> you know, some people call us crazy when, when we have see something like that and you come back and you're like, yeah, well, he's alive. So he'll be fine. You know, and other, other people are just like, oh, you're so heartless. no. No, we just we saw it at his worst, and he's good, and and we have to compartmentalize all that for ourselves. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, you know, 
I had another one down there that was um, pretty significant. It was, you know, you go to, did you go to Pensacola? No, sir. You were my instructor and I was class 10 zero zero. Okay. Uh, gotcha. When they, when they switched it to AST. So, well, we kind of did the same thing, but we did a lot of, you know, if, if you went, if you'd have went to Pensacola, all you would have done was just practice on getting people out of parachutes oh. over and over and over again. Got it. Uh, that, that's their big thing. That, so that's one of the reasons we tried to mix it up because you, you know, we just didn't service Navy pilots. We, you know, we, we service mom and pop. So that's why we come up with those scenarios like you did when you were there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there was a, uh, a mid-air collision in, in Corpus Christi when I was there. And it was a F-15 collided with one of the trainers, uh, T T-38. Oh, wow. Okay. And they, they went down uh, right there next to the air station and, we, we lost two swimmers on that too. Uh, first swimmer was out there and he called, said, Hey, I need help. And I, I lost out on the second one. Let me think. I can tell you when we came into a harbor, I could see the parachute canopy of the, the, the Corpus Christi Bay at the time was extremely muddy because we'd had a lot high winds. Okay. And we had hot winds that day. I think it was January or February. I know it was wintertime. It was cold. Yeah. And uh, those two, those two pilots in the T-38 ended up. Well, eyewitnesses said they, they saw two guys hit the water and their chutes had just started to stream. They never filled up with air. So they hit the water at a high rate of speed, you know, oh. basically, basically terminal velocity. Yeah. And that, I think that was from about 500 feet, 500, 800 feet, something like that. So I see the other swimmer in the water, Lavelle, Olaf Lavelle. I don't know if oh, he's yeah. Him. Olaf Lavelle was my senior chief up in Kodiak. Yeah. So uh, the other the other canopy, by the time I got down to the water, it was gone. Couldn't see it. I mean, it was muddy. I mean, you had basically this much visibility in the water. Like and can't see, you know, your hand in front of your face in the water. No. Yeah. Uh, all bad. So by the time we got to the water, that canopy was gone and Lavelle still had one and he was trying to pull this, uh, th th that, you know, the Navy pilot to the, to the surface and he had shroud lines and he was pulling them. And I, I show up, we're both pulling as hard as we can and we're fighting that canopy pretty hard. We actually inflated back in the day that it was called SAR one. My fest. We inflated those SAR ones to give us buoyancy and you know some leverage. And we finally we're pulling, we're pulling. I reached down, and I feel his webbing. I got him by the back. So we're on scene. I think it was 13 minutes. So depending on when he hit the water and went under, I'm thinking in my mind there is a possibility that we we could possibly save save this guy. Yeah. Uh, but when I pulled him up to the surface and his head flopped back on me, I could literally take my hand and lay down inside of his, put, put it down inside of his skull. Oh. His, his brains were kind of floating around right here on me. And it's like so up close and personal. I can just, I can smell it, oh, you know? Man. 
Oh, it's not hard. a bad smell. It's, it's just a smell. I don't know how to describe it, but um, yeah. So I'm hanging there with him and we're trying to get him out of the harness because we're still that harness. I mean, we feel like we're going to be pulled down if we don't get this off of pretty quick. So we got, we got it off of him and uh, getting ready for a, a pickup just, just to, all I want to do, all I want to do is get away from this situation too. I just want to put, you know, yeah. put him in a basket and be done. Then Hilo gets a chip light. Oh no. So they leave us there. So I'm just floating in the water, hanging on to him right here until a boat comes and picks us up. Oh. And oh. seeing him in that, seeing him in that, you know, blue flight suit, you know, the same flight suits we were wearing that really that really hit that hit pretty hard oh my good lord al wow <laughs> so uh <laughs> you you and olaf uh were you guys both left in the water with those guys yes yeah oh Jeez. <clears throat> i just have i just have to have him right here and you know i i man olaf might have been hanging on to his gear i don't i don't know i can't remember but uh, boat picked us up, and let me think. Boat picked us up. The Navy showed up. There's a ton of media there. They said, "Do not speak to the media." Yeah. And we walked. We was trying to walk through that that crowd, and finally, one an ambulance driver from NAS says, "Hey, uh, you guys need to ride back." Like, yes. So we get up in the back of the ambulance. He gives us a ride back to the air station. And of course, the media, since they didn't have a story, they made one up that both swimmers had to be taken to the hospital because they were suffering from hypothermia. That made national news. And uh, we weren't, you know, we, we were just getting a ride. Uh, wow. Jeez, Al. That's, uh, that's a couple tough cases there. Like, yeah, it's man, just I, a... I, I, I had to stop by and pick up a six pack of. Keystone Pounders that night just so I could go to sleep. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Wow. I, I came very close to getting out of the Coast Guard after that one. I was like, you know what? I'm I'm done with this. And then got to thinking about it. I was like, you know, I could have ran across a car accident on the way home and it'd been just as bad. Yeah. That's the way I kind of, you know, justified it. But still, it was it was a uh, it was difficult. Yeah. Jeez. Well, you did a hell of a job. I mean, with all those, I mean, you stuck to the rate, you stayed in, uh, and you know, I, I credit all of you guys as being amazing instructors for while I went through school and, and that's not to, you know, give kudos where kudos doesn't belong. I mean, you guys, I really believe that we had amazing instructors and I would not have done and be where I'd be without you guys as my baseline. So, you know, the foundation there was awesome and I appreciate it. So. Oh, thank you. I, I tell you, that was my, that was probably one of my favorite tours was those. I was at the school for five, maybe five and a half years, probably my most favorite, favorite tour. And that, that was because of, you know, the other guys that I was working with, it was just a good time. I mean, you know, you work with highly motivated people that want to be there and want to do a good job. And the students are the same way. You don't have, because if you're not highly motivated, you won't be there long. 
No, 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 you won't. <laughs> oh, oh, what good times! We had such good. Oh times. yeah, the school's <laughs> a lot of fun. I got to see some. I got to see some funny stuff at the school. Okay, I'll take a story. One story, and and then we'll, and then we'll. Uh... One of my favorites. It's I've I've almost posted it online a couple of times on a couple of the swimmer you know Facebook pages, but it's just too much to type. You remember James? You remember James Keynes? He he's the uh, swimmer that the helo crashed on his very first SAR case, and they they lost the entire crew. Oh, uh, the one out of Humble. Humble, yeah. He was a third class. It was his uh, from from what I've been told and read. It was his very first SAR case, and uh, you know he had busted his ass to get qualified, and he got qualified, and then, you know that happens on the first one. Oh, but he, yeah. But we was in class one day. Keynes was from, he was from Georgia. Well, he turns in a test to me. I look at the test and I'm like, hey, Keynes, I think you need to put your name on this test. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, yes, Petty Officer Yates. So he turns around and he puts James G. Keynes on the test. I said, Keynes, I said, what does the G stand for? He kind of leaned back a little bit, smiled. He says, genius and i looked at him i said spell it <laughs> <laughs> oh that's yeah. funny oh yeah the rest of the guys got they got a kick out of that genius <laughs> oh that's a pretty good one i like that one you know i do i do know the story that you're talking about too because it's uh they have the memorial there over in in humboldt for that that crew so but man you know it's always it's nice to hear stories like that from guys that are have passed you know good memories yep (laughs) yeah he uh he told me he said i always coordinated graduation and i said i said canes how many how many people you got showing up for this uh graduation he said i think he told me like Oh, about 35. Like, what? Because everybody only had one or two. He goes, Yeah, man, everybody in Georgia's coming. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> man, that's pretty funny. I like that. Oh, well, Al, I don't want to take too much humility of time. Um, before I let you go, I, I, the floor is going to be open to you. You can pass on some amazing knowledge. You can. You know, anything you would like to to share, a little wisdom, we'll take it. Well, shoot, man, I I don't really – all I can say was I'd do it again, even though it had some ups and downs. I'd I'd still do it again because I've never – as a whole, I've never worked with a group of people where so many of them are just – they're good, good folks. Yeah. And and lifelong friends. Swimmers are tight. There's no doubt about it. That's awesome. All right. Well, Al, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on to podcast and, and just telling us stories. It was great to see you as well. So a little bit of bonus on both. So that's no awesome. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we are out of here. 
Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Real Rescue Podcast. Please take a minute and like my daughters like to tell me, like and subscribe. Oh yeah. I'm pulling chocks and taking off. But before I go, if anyone out there has a rescue story that they would be willing to share, I would be humbled and honored to have you as a guest. Or if you have any questions about any of the rescues or anything else that we talk about here on this podcast, send me an email, therealrescue at gmail.com. That's T-H-E-R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q at gmail.com. You can also check us out on our Facebook and Instagram page at The Real Rescue. That's at T-H-E-R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q. I also want to give a special thank you to all of you standing on the watch today. Always remember that when that SAR alarm goes off, those in distress are praying for a miracle. They are going to get you. Until next time, fly safe and swim hard.